0: Hello, Speak Your Truth. This morning we have with us Hannah Huseman, who is a mental skills coach for the Philadelphia Phillies. That's what is that what they're called? What are they called exactly? The yep,
1: the Philadelphia Phillies.
0: That's awesome. Philadelphia Phillies. Not a yep. huge baseball fan, but I might become one because of you. You seem pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Hannah, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so um, my name is Hannah Huseman, and originally from Nashville, Tennessee. Nice. Um, I yep yeah, grew up playing all the sports. Um, heavily involved, um, really competitive family, have a younger brother, um, and we grew up competing all the time. And so sports has always really been a big passion of mine. Um, and then I went to the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, okay. which is a smaller Division One school in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I played um, basketball my freshman year, nice. and then ended up switching sports and played softball my sophomore, junior, and senior
0: year. Oh, cool. Um,
1: yeah, super interesting, but great experience, great life lessons throughout all of that, Um, and then my senior year, I was, as all of us do, trying to figure out what I was going to do for the rest of my life, Mm -hmm. and a lot of big decisions and conversations were had, and um, I actually took a sports psychology class my senior year, and was like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Why have I never heard about this, and I want to know more, and so did some really cool research, and my mom, actually, has her master's in clinical psych, and so she's always been really big on the psychology part and and mental health part, but not necessarily in sports, and so I ended up doing research, fell in love with a program at the University of Tennessee, and applied, and got in, and went there, and got my master's from University of Tennessee, and while I was there, I did an internship with a professional junior golf academy.
0: Mm. Um,
1: which was super cool because I had never played golf and so was exposed to a new sport and the mental challenges that they face. Mm-hmm. And then I graduated and my first job slash internship outside of school was with the Pittsburgh Pirates, which is another major league baseball team. Cool. And I was with them for a season and then um, moved to New York city for about a year and a half and worked for a private practice there doing sports psychology and mental skills coaching which was really cool because in the private practice setting um, I actually got to work with all different kinds of performers so not just athletes Mm. I was working with actors actresses um VPs of companies surgeons wow um, singers even um firefighters for the FDNY so it was an awesome experience um just seeing how not just sports and athletes can use mental skills, but how, if you're a performer of any kind, Mm -hmm. um, mental skills can benefit you. um, Even if it's just public speaking. Right. Exactly. So so went from there and then decided I really, really, really loved the the sport of baseball and just how open and willing they are to implement mental skills as part of the culture. And Mm -hmm. so I really wanted to get back into that and started looking around, had a few job interviews and, Landed a job with the Phillies. um, And I am going on season number two with them right now.
0: Oh, nice. Congrats. That's so awesome.
1: Yeah, Yeah, thank you. It's great. I absolutely love it.
0: That is awesome. And you have such an amazing story. That is so amazing. Um,
1: Yeah.
0: Working at the private practice, I never thought of surgery as a performance. So to oh, yeah. to be a psycho, you know, a mental skills coach for a surgeon, that's, that's crazy. I want to learn about that. We got to talk off <laughs> off uh, video for a minute after this. Yeah, um, for sure. That's so cool. Um, yeah. can you elaborate a little bit on what the, the, the you have a quote on your Instagram page and it says awareness is the foundation to all mental skills Jeez. and that really touched me. Um. Yes. can you elaborate a little bit on what that means to you and what we who wish to achieve great mental skills can learn from that quote?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad that that's the quote that stuck out to you Thank because you. <laughs> that's my favorite quote ever. And yes. when, when um people are trying to become mental skills coaches or ask me what my philosophy is, any of those questions, it always comes back to awareness mm-hmm. um, because I truly believe, because because mental skills is sometimes you can see it outside of a person but sometimes you can't exactly and sometimes you're the only person knows what exactly you're going through and what you're experiencing and so if you have zero awareness on what's going on internally how do you change
0: how do you grow
1: how do you know if where you are is where you need to be or what needs to change and so i always say you can't grow if you don't know Mm -hmm. and so I, i i'm a true believer that any mental skills if you need to be more confident if you need to be more resilient have better composure um want to just enjoy the sport or the life or performance that you're doing more because we all know if you enjoy it you play better you perform better you have to become aware of what's going on inside exactly and and a lot of the times you hear athletes you know they'll just be like yeah i just blanked out up there or blacked out up there Mm -hmm. and it's like but you played really well. What did you do? And they're like, I don't know. (laughs) Come on. We got to know what you did because we want to replicate that. Or or maybe it's in a tough situation where you didn't perform up to the way you wanted to. And I'm like, well, what happened? What were you thinking about? And they're like, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. It's like, come on, we got to create that awareness. We have to create knowing what's happening inside our mind at all times. That way we can start to figure out, okay, saying this to myself works, saying this to myself doesn't
0: work. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, that's great. I love it though. Yeah.
0: So how do, you, how do you get your players to become aware? What do you do? What do you say? What kind of things, what kind of challenges do you give them? Yeah,
1: so two things come to mind off the top of my head with that question. And the first one is mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, we really preach talking about mindfulness and the practice of mindfulness and when and how to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think awareness and mindfulness go hand in hand. It's really hard to practice mindfulness if you have zero awareness, Mm -hmm. and it's really hard to be mindful if you don't even know where to start or you don't know what to be aware of. Exactly. Um, So we have the guys practice mindfulness uh, in all kinds of ways, shapes, and forms, because I think that's something that the mental skill world um, needs to be more educated on, is that not everything is going to work for every player.
0: Exactly. Just like
1: not every baseball player has the same swing, not every baseball player is going to have the same mental approach. Um, some something may fire you up may piss me off you know mm-hmm. or, or it's just different everybody's different so that's the cool part about my job is we kind of have to try and figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you but I would say mindfulness and then I would say the second thing is journaling mm. so chances are you're going to forget what you were thinking that day exactly. <laughs> it's the only time that, like 100% even if you hear the most amazing information you're like wow that's what I need to do that's what I need to implement and you don't write it down or you don't Jot it down in your notes on your phone. Chances of you forgetting that in two days, a week, a month are like legit 100%. Exactly. Like, how are you going to remember that? How are you going to remember all the information that you're getting, especially if you are growing, if you're learning a new skill, mm-hmm. if you're at a new level, right? You should be writing down everything. So, a big part of mental skills is recording what's happening. So, not just recording the outcome of what happens. So, today I had a really good game. Right. That doesn't help anybody. When you go back and read that, you're like, great. I had a good game. <laughs> exactly. What does that mean? Right. And so it's it's not just the what it's writing down. Why did I have a good game and how did I create that good game mm. or that good performance or that good at bat? Whatever it is for you. Um, but it's making sure you get on the bottom of that iceberg is what I call it. So the top of the iceberg is just the what. Great. You had a good game. You had a good performance, whatever it is. But how did you do that and why? Why were you able to create that zone, that flow, that state that you were in when things were just going well? Or maybe how and why did the game not go great for you? Like, why did that happen? And so I think being able to journal that and write that down and, and keep a record for yourself mm-hmm. is huge, right? You're basically creating a almost a cheat sheet for yourself. So the next time you're struggling, you can go back and look at performances that you've performed well in and see those check boxes and see if you're doing that. Oh, yeah, I forgot that if I take a deep breath before every swing, I actually am more focused. Let me try to implement that mm-hmm. instead of just starting from scratch and trying to figure out what's going on, what's hindering my performance and what's helping my performance.
0: Exactly. That's deep. That's awesome. I feel like I'm being yeah. coached right now. I'm learning <laughs> so much. I, I just wrote that down because I've just recently started journaling. Yeah. Um, I started therapy probably about three months ago. Uh and it took my therapist this long to get me to start journaling so if you go back to like the beginning of when I started until now it gets much better but this is the what to the why and how is going to help me so much because I do a lot of the what and a lot of what I want to happen um versus a why and a how my day went well or what I did like you said to have a great day that is awesome
1: yeah for sure and and for the people who are, like, cringing at the sound of journaling, I get it. You mm-hmm. know, like, I work with anywhere from 17 to 30-year-old men. So I, <laughs> some of these guys, when you're like, hey, you need to journal, they look at me like I'm crazy. Exactly. And I get that. And so, to those people, I would say, start super small. Start with two minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And even my guys now who are big journalers, I try to challenge them to journal for no more than five to ten minutes. Oh, just nice. because I don't want this to become... Right, And this is specific performance journaling, right? There's mm-hmm. all different kinds of journaling. But if you're journaling about your performance, keep it short and sweet, five to ten minutes, and write down something you're actually going to want to come back and read. So if you don't care if you went four for four today, don't write that. Mm-hmm. If, if, if a coach said something to you that really stuck with you, write that, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's just things that you are actually going to find value if you go back, open your journal, and start reading again. Versus if you just open it and start reading it and you're like, what, why am I even wasting my time doing this? Mm-hmm. And again, that's specific to a performance journal. There's all different kinds of values for all different types of journaling, you know, just venting journaling and, and goal journaling and all that stuff. But I'm talking specific on the performance side.
0: Mm-hmm. That's how you don't life. burn
1: out is five, ten quick minutes, you know. Yeah. That's it. And typically write right after and maybe right before a performance is the best time to do that when everything's kind of fresh Mm -hmm. and your feelings are right there and and you don't have time to forget. Even the next day it's challenging to write about yesterday's performance, right? Because Mm -hmm. you want to close that chapter too. You don't want to necessarily carry it into the next day. Exactly. So I think it actually has a bigger power too of if I write this down and when I close that journal, that signifies that that game, that performance is over and done with and like I'm allowing my brain to release that, leave it in the journal and move on and have a good rest of the night, a good rest of the day and not let that affect, you know, the Mm -hmm. outside
0: world. Exactly. You're changing my life, Hannah. I appreciate you (laughs) already. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, So you mentioned that you took a sports psychology class in college and your mom is also a clinical psychologist. That's kind of what got you started down this path. Did you, um, was there anything else that happened while you were an athlete or to a friend, a family member that you noticed that also sparked your interest and really made you want to do it?
1: Great question. Um, I think in the time, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Like I had no clue, but when I was looking back on it, I was talking, I remember a really serious conversation I had with my mom and I was like, mom, now that I think of it, like my entire life, I was kind of the one that everybody kind of confided in and mm-hmm. asked questions and advice, whether it was, for softball or basketball or just life or school or you know significant others and all that stuff and it, it kind of all came full circle. I was like, wow, I kind of get it now. Like, mm-hmm. I've always been the person that is I want to give advice. I want to be there for people. I want people to lean on me and and help support people in whatever way I can. Um, so it kind of all lined up when I started thinking about it and and the experiences that I've had, you know, exactly from injury to switching sports to wanting to quit, you know, mm-hmm. everything like it's, it's very rare that I ever meet with a player that has gone through something that I haven't mm-hmm. or that someone I'm really close with haven't gone through either. So it, I think it kind of prepared me really well. And I tease my brother all the time that, you know, I've kind of guided him to mm-hmm. <laughs> life and, and worked with him and kept him sane in the hard times of football and all that stuff and mm-hmm. and we joke that like that was my training for my whole life like, exactly been working with 17 to 30 year old boys for like <laughs> 25 years of my life with my brother exactly you know? so, so looking back I can definitely see moments where it was kind of creating itself but mm-hmm. in the moment I had no clue I really I had no clue what I was gonna do I originally my undergrad is in exercise science so oh, nice I was trying to kind of coach um or be a personal trainer or strength mm-hmm. and conditioning coach. Um, again, I knew I wanted to stay in the world of sport, um, but I just had no clue it was going to be on the mental side of coaching things. And it's an awesome time to be in this field just because it is growing and it's obviously getting a ton more notice in the world and mm-hmm. the media world and social media and all that stuff. So it's, it's really interesting how it's all unfolding. But I would have to say at the time, not really, but looking back, <laughs> Yep, this all kind of makes sense.
0: <laughs> that's so awesome, and I feel yeah. like that's when you realize you're walking in your purpose is when you're able to look back and reflect, and it's like, yeah, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Like You said you were prepared for this before you even knew that this was your calling or your path. So that is that is really awesome.
1: Yeah, I love that, walking in your purpose, yes. for sure. And, and knowing every day, like, this is 100% what I'm supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. like, no doubt, so it's a, it's a pretty great feeling, for sure.
0: That is awesome. Uh, so what made you switch sports in school?
1: Oof, that's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons. So I had, when I grew up, I played all the sports, and the two I specialized in the most were softball and basketball. And so I had kind of been recruited for both of those at the school I went to. Okay. And my uh, my junior year, I was even still playing. AAU basketball and trouble softball, and it mm. wasn't until my senior year when I decided, okay, I'm really gonna just focus on basketball. And originally, I chose basketball because I felt like it was a little bit more of a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, softball was always my go-to easy. My mom had coached me my whole life; I've been playing forever. And basketball was a little more challenging. And and I was like, if I get an opportunity to play basketball, I really wanna, I really wanna go for that. And and I did, and went guns a blazing in and and fought like heck you know to mm-hmm. get in that position and there was just a lot of things that came up um personal issues and just camaraderie with the coaching staff and mm-hmm. it just wasn't a great fit for me to be honest and and really had to do some soul searching on what I was going to do you know was I gonna switch schools and play basketball still play basketball somewhere else mm-hmm. um, was I gonna stop playing sports altogether and just be a student was I could I potentially see if there's still a softball opportunity somewhere else or at UT Chattanooga? And so I ended up like I had a great friend base and was already on a really good track of education. And so I really mm-hmm. wanted to stay at the school that I was at. And I really couldn't, again, I couldn't imagine my life without sport. And so I went and sat down and talked to the softball coach and was like, is there any way, you know, I can come on, be a part of the team and, and, play and he was like absolutely and so we found a way to make it work and and it was the best decision I ever made nice um, yeah it was extremely incredibly challenging and and tough emotionally and physically and mentally mm-hmm. when we were going through that but and it ended up being a great decision and I'm so glad I stayed at the University of Tennessee Chattanooga I love that school and that city and mm-hmm. it just that, that was just my path and at the time i was devastated and mm-hmm. looking back i'm so glad that happened because i'm not 100 percent sure i'd be able to work with mlb if i hadn't played softball exactly you know? and, and i don't know if that was the true like foot in the door for me but i definitely think it helped so mm-hmm. again looking back it's kind of like everything has a purpose you know everything has a reason for why it happened so, for sure it was a tough road to hoe but we got through it
0: <laughs> that's beautiful that's um yeah. Very similar, kind of, to my story with, with the with the decision making process. And um, at first, I wanted to leave UConn and go to fashion school, um, wow. oh. either in New York or in L. A. And I, you know, talked to my dad. That was who I talked to the most about everything. And of course, he still wanted me to play basketball to be on scholarship to get free education was his point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I always looked at my transferring as a failure when really there was no failing. I just went to a different school, another big D1 school. And we, as a team, had several accomplishments and, um, like you said that is something that was preparing me for this because if I never transferred I wouldn't be able to talk about mental health and how it affected me because I didn't know anything about mental health mm-hmm. until I got to Kentucky and my uh, our head coach introduced it to us and to me specifically and um that's what kind of got me started on the journey with my own mental health it took a while but we are here um mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it, it's amazing because it's it's crazy how for me personally I look back at certain things as failures when really the only failure I've I I feel like i've had uh as an adult really big failure i should say is getting fired from my job and to me that's still not a failure because it has led me to this so everything is just a preparation for your purpose for your divine path in my belief um yeah absolutely and I it's agree more with yes and it's been an amazing journey and it's so awesome to be talking to someone who's had a, a similar jir- journey as well but in a different way so that's really cool
1: yeah absolutely i feel like I feel like we all have our own journeys we're on, you know, and they Mm -hmm. all are somewhat similar, but some are smoother than others. But I truly believe that. Everything that happens creates what's supposed to be and where you're at now today. And, and if you don't like where you're at now today, you do something about it, you
0: know? You Very true. Do
1: something about it.
0: Very true. No need in complaining. That's my thing. <laughs> and my dad, I never understood when he would say there's no point in complaining because it doesn't do anything anyway. And I never got that until I got older. And I'm like, I'm complaining, but literally nothing's changing. I'm still complaining <laughs> about what I was complaining about two, three years ago. Yeah, um, but yeah that's so cool. Um, so, what's I the know. difference? that you find in like, how can I put it in mental health, your personal mental health from you as an athlete to now you being a coach?
1: Oh, that's a good question too. Um, well, I think, I think personally when I was an athlete, kind of like you, I really wasn't totally aware of mental health, Mm -hmm. what that meant. We had, we had one sports psychologist come in to our school and give us an assessment and then say, if you want the results, come talk to me.
0: <laughs> and who's going to yeah. go do that, right?
1: No, no, I never saw him again, right? Like, I was like, okay, I, like, took the test. I was like, this is kind of cool. And then never, I have no clue what my results are. <laughs> I nothing, right? And, then I, and I don't know why I didn't follow up with that, but it was just, like, a weird thing back then. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was not familiar. It was, who are you? It was, we have to stay late after practice to talk to you, like, (laughs) all day, you know, it was a really bad vibe, Mm -hmm. and so, I didn't really have an opinion when I was an athlete, but I will say that most of my coaching philosophy is based off of my time as an athlete, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, so it's almost like every, so, that story that I just told about that guy who came in, I think about that all the time, Mm -hmm. because... I I was a pretty harsh critic back then, and, like, I still am. Uh, my awareness is through the roof, you know? And so, like, if someone's talking to me and I'm like, this is a waste of my time or they're not giving me any new information or, or whatever it is, I know that right mm-hmm. off the bat. And, and I've tried to take that approach and change it to what can I learn from this person, right? Mm-hmm. Even if they're saying something that I already know, um, nothing new, but let me try to find one good thing, one new thing that they're saying but also with that open mindset is being able to put myself in the player's shoes that I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. So when I'm, when I'm creating a PowerPoint or presentation or even just a one on one conversation and and they're sitting there telling me what's going on or why they're hurting or what's, what's happening with their performance, I'm literally putting myself in their shoes and saying, what would I want to hear in this situation? Like, would I actually want to be consolidated right now? Would I actually would I want somebody to just be like, Wow, that sucks, mm-hmm. you know? Just to show that empathy and be empathetic with me, you know, what what I want. Is this presentation boring? Mm-hmm. Is this presentation too long? Is it not entertaining? Is it not fun? Are they gonna be like, When is this over? you know? Exactly. And, and I think that's what's truly been one of the secrets to my success is mm-hmm. trying to keep that athletic athlete mentality of, would I want to hear this if I was in their shoes? Because I was a tough critic back in the day.
0: And
1: and if I am okay with it, chances are they will be okay with it too.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: And, you know, you don't get them all right. Um, I think that's how, again, like what you said in the beginning, that's how you grow failures and learning and shortening some and lengthening others. But Mm -hmm. I think think those are two really big keys for me as far as my work now Mm -hmm. that necessarily I didn't know when I was playing, but how much my past career and past situations impact my work now, Mm -hmm. but also making sure that I'm not talking about me in that session at all. Like I'm not talking about my experiences or, Oh yeah, yeah, I've done that. Even if I have like, just knowing that I already kind of have that bias in my head, right? That awareness of, okay, I know he's talking about an injury. I had almost the exact same injury, Mm -hmm. but he may be experiencing it totally different than I am. So just listen and be more aware and, and notice if there's similarities and notice if there's differences mm. and start to point those out, um, I think is really, really key, too.
0: A lot of parents could use that advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, For sure. Because my, my girlfriend and I, and we love our parents to death, and my parents listen to this, so hi, parents, I love you. Um, <laughs> but they, I think, are having a difficult time parenting us as adults yeah. and are using their experiences to kind of like almost feel like i have to live in fear of everything because they like almost scare me into not making mistakes but so it's like yeah. yeah and it's like it just like you said, just listen to me because yes, we might be experiencing something extremely similar or even the same but like you said, we're still two different people um, and experiencing it very differently and that's something that I'm still working on as a friend um, and a significant other is like just listening to people and not using my story to compare or to help them or give them advice um, verbally or to them like you said but mentally to be having that in the back of my mind to be able to help that's so cool. Thank you, I need to hire you (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's so interesting too but even i love the parent example because i think we all kind of deal with that you know mm-hmm. they're trying their best to help us and guide us but also it's another world
0: exactly you know? like
1: i remember talking to my dad and and i've done a few pretty big um speaking engagements mm-hmm. and in those speaking engagements i've used a few curse words <laughs> and my dad's like cringing you know he's like hannah come on you can't do that like mm-hmm. it's a public audience and, and i'm like dad nowadays People kind of want that. Exactly. And so we had this really long conversation, and that's just, like, a generational difference, you know? And it's funny here, even in my sport, like, you know, you have guys just all over the place cursing, and it's Mm -hmm. fine. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't – I'm totally open to it. I probably curse more than they do. um, But – But you know, there's a difference too. You have an older coach walking in. He's like, "Hey, no cursing in front of the women."
0: Mm -hmm. And it's like,
1: it's okay. Exactly. I want you to be your authentic self, and if that if that means you curse like a sailor, then you curse like a sailor. Like, I I love you for who you are. You know, and and so it's it really is interesting. Like knowing, it's just knowing your natural bias, right? Mm -hmm. It's, It's knowing that. Maybe you've been raised to think cursing is a bad thing and that's fine, but that doesn't mean you necessarily have the right to judge somebody else because maybe they were raised as cursing was a natural language.
0: Exactly. It was
1: a natural part of, of their emotion and and all of that stuff. So I think it's important to just be aware of your own bias that you have.
0: Very true. Very true. That's awesome. Thank you Mm -hmm. for that. Of course. Um, So tell us a little bit, tell us actually all about what a mental skills coach is exactly um and what exactly you do, your day-to-day schedule, all of that.
1: Yeah, so this is one of my favorite things to talk about because I think there's a lot of misconception on what a mental skills coach is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there, there's mental health, and then there's mental skills. Mm-hmm. And they are two pretty different things that fall under the same umbrella of just anything mental, right? Exactly. So before I tell you what mental skills is, I'm going to tell you what mental skills is not. And mm-hmm. it's not... It's not clinical disorder. So it's Mm. not clinical anxiety. It's not depression. It's not suicidality, eating disorders, anything that is an actual mental health-related issue. Mental skills is not. Mm -hmm. It's two totally different entities. Now, the tricky part is you have some people who have schooling in both mental health and mental skills, Mm -hmm. and so they could potentially do both at one time. Nice. So I only have my master's in mental skills only. Mm. I say that lightly.
0: (laughs) I know, right? (laughs)
1: Specifically in mental skills, not in mental health. And so what that means is I specifically work with athletes or performers on things that are specific to their performance. Mm. So that entails confidence, composure, concentration, resilience, motivation, enjoyment, anything like that. Nice. So it's basically – strictly on field or on stage or on whatever your platform is performance now the two can go hand in hand right if Mm -hmm. you are dealing with depression that can affect how you're performing Mm -hmm. if you have you know suicidality thoughts or you have some serious stuff going on with your family that could affect how you're playing Mm -hmm. and so it's our job as mental skills coaches to be aware when they show those clinical signs Mm. So are they showing signs of depression? Are they showing signs of more than just a little performance anxiety and nerves to actual anxiety in real life and and happening? Maybe it's enhanced on the field. Mm -hmm. And then how the Phillies handle it is we have an employee assistance program. And if we notice, okay, I think this is a little bit more than mental skills. And outside my specific scope of practice, we recommend talking to um, our EAP person. Mm -hmm. And then he, it's his job to get you signed with whoever you need so if you need a counselor if you need a um, psychologist if you need a psychiatrist if you need couples counseling whatever it is you will figure out what you need Um, but I think that's very very important to clarify the difference so as a mental skills coach I am not prescribing medicine
0: Mm -hmm. I am not
1: (laughs) I am not writing prescriptions I am not you know there's nothing Nothing clinical related to my job, which mm-hmm. there's a point in time for both of those, right? And, exactly. And I think it's important to make sure that that difference is very clear because I am fighting really, really hard to destigmatize, right, I and mean, what a mental skills coach does. Exactly. Um, and that, oh, if you go to the mental skills coach, it's because you're messed up, mm-hmm. right, or, or something's wrong. And so the best way I try to explain a mental skills coach is I compare it to sh- strength and conditioning coach. We're a mental conditioning coach, right? Mm-hmm. Just like you have hitting coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, pitching coaches, speaking coaches, whatever coaches you have, we are, are the same. We are mental skills coaches, okay? We're not mental skills doctors. Exactly. We're not mental <laughs> skills physical therapists. We're mental skills coaches. So we are coaching you, mm-hmm. but specifically on the mental aspects of your performance and your game. Nice. And so it's really cool, and it's it's fun. It's awesome. and we try to really brand it as a proactive approach instead of a reactive approach Mm -hmm. so of course sometimes it happens when guys are struggling or in slump so like Hannah, i'm in a slump what do i do and we start from there Mm -hmm. but we try to meet with everybody before that so my philosophy especially with the minor league guys is is we're gonna meet once a month no -hmm. matter what if you're playing really really well we're gonna meet Mm -hmm. if you're playing really really bad we're gonna meet that way everybody knows oh yeah i have to meet with hannah Exactly. it's not necessarily a oh man you had to meet with Hannah today what's up what's mm-hmm. wrong you know it's just like oh yeah I'm about to go meet with Hannah when's your meeting with her you know exactly. it's, it's becoming part of the culture and the norm that we coach everything else why would we not coach our mental game
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and so a day in the life could look like a lot of one-on-one meetings that's mostly what I do um with all of our players and I'm not sure how much your audience knows about baseball but it's not just the major league team we have minor league teams too. I believe the Phillies have eight total teams right now. Mm. Um so from the Dominican Republic all the way to Philadelphia. So nice. Um we're kind of all over the place. So I travel, uh I travel a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm on the road a lot. I'm actually in um Lakewood, New Jersey right now visiting oh, cool. my low-A team. Yeah. And so a day in the life looks like get to the field um whenever the players report, which is usually about six to seven hours before the game and Mm -hmm. we'll start doing some one-on-one sessions with the guys and making sure they're all doing okay and talking through that with them and sometimes it's meeting with the coaches and sometimes it's meeting with the team as a whole Mm -hmm. um, and having a group workshop or a smaller group workshop or running a mindfulness session or watching them hit and practice and get some field work in and and see if they're implementing some of the stuff we're working on on the field and then staying for the game and watching the game and then high fives after and then head out and do the same thing the next day so it's it's mostly consistent of one-on-one meetings but an occasional group meeting and and coaches meetings are are thrown into the mix
0: too yeah that's so awesome (laughs) you live live a very beautiful life Hannah (laughs) yeah (laughs) at least it seems like it. outside looking in it seems like it. no I (laughs) thought I absolutely love my job that's so cool yeah. Uh, so I have a much deeper question that I didn't prep you for, but I want to okay. know because I do know that there are obviously other races and ethnicities in baseball. Uh-huh. Um, and there I feel like are differences in terms of how we view it amongst different ethnicities and races. So uh-huh. have you, since you have started this, noticed a difference with that? Like if, um, <clears throat> for example, a player of color versus a player who's not of color. Is there any difference or any pushback?
1: Interesting. Um, well, so most of our players are either from the U S or from the Dominican. Okay. We have a couple, um, I think we have three players from Asia right now. Oh, nice. Um, a couple from Mexico or maybe one now. And then, um, a couple from random places too. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, but the predominant is you, what I say is English speakers and Spanish speakers Mm -hmm. um and it's interesting because it's more of a cultural thing Mm -hmm. right like and and sometimes it's easier to speak in your own language right obviously it's easier for me to speak English and work with the um, Americans Mm -hmm. versus our Latin American guys and we have a translator we actually just hired this year a um an intern her name's Francis and she's awesome she's bilingual oh cool. and so she's kind of me and and following me everywhere and translating all of my presentations so that we're all on the same page and so that's been awesome this year yeah so cool um, yeah and I think I think it's interesting because at first I would say you know Americans were more open to it just because they've heard of mental health right mm-hmm. and it's like kind of all over now but mm-hmm. we actually went to the dominican um at the beginning of the season and did a an open um basically a, a rollout of mindfulness to those guys mm-hmm. never heard of it you know never really talked about it at all we were like has anyone heard of mindfulness no one had yeah that's and crazy. they were super right it was crazy but they were super open to it because they had never heard of it mm-hmm. so it was really interesting like There was a little pushback by some of the Americans just because, like, oh, yeah, they're doing this because everybody's kind of doing it or they've heard it. Whereas in the Dominican, most of those younger kids were like, what is this? This is cool. If this is going to help us, we want to do it. Exactly. Instead of, oh, yeah, we've heard of this. Like, they had never heard of it. So it's really interesting and, and super important that we realize that everything is different from Mm -hmm. from the american guys to the dominican republic guys like their education is different they're not required to go to school after a certain age like and so it's just totally different Mm -hmm. um and so our sometimes our presentations may change a little bit and alter a little bit um and sometimes we have to go a little bit slower on some ends and sometimes we can whiz through it and sometimes we have to repeat it and So I think it's important to just know your audience and know the background of your audience and and the education level of your audience. You know, even American guys, we have guys who sign right out of high school and then we have guys who sign out of college. And that's Mm. a really big difference. You know, those three or four years, like you've got guys who are just now figuring out, starting to figure out who they are and they're living on their own for the first time and you've got guys who have lived on their own for four years and they're grown men mm-hmm. and so it's really interesting finding those approaches um I don't think there's one specific group that pushes back more than another
0: mm-hmm.
1: um I think there's you're always going to have guys who you know aren't super into it and exactly. that's okay um some of the best advice I got when I was in grad school was go with the goers Mm-hmm. And that just is such a key for me in mental skills, because mental skills is something that you can't force on someone. If if you're not into it, if you don't want to talk about it, that's great. I'm going to still meet with you once a month. I'm going to check in on how you're doing. And if you don't have anything to say, then that's okay. Um, But also, this is your career. And until you realize that Mm -hmm. mental skills is a big part of it, and they usually do, it usually doesn't take too much time for them to figure out, wait, I actually need to work on my mental game too.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, Or that maybe... Maybe everything physical is right. My swing's great. My defense is great. But for some reason, I'm not playing good. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the last resort is, well, maybe it's mental. And then they come talking. So I don't think it's one or the other. I just think it's it's sometimes guys take a little bit longer to realize that there's a lot more in this. Where, whereas some guys come in and they're like, I want to learn anything and everything I can to gain the edge on my opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, think, I do think the elite of the elite athletes are the guys who are constantly looking for that one up for the mm-hmm. for the one thing that they can get better at constantly or instead of just, you know, being complacent like these skills have gotten me to where I am today, I think I'm good. It's like no, actually, I know these skills have gotten me to where I am today and I know I can be even better. Like where else can I continue to grow? What avenue can I go in this week and and see where I can get better this
0: week? Exactly. That man that's I think the key difference between a good athlete and like you said, an elite athlete is a good athlete believes that they've arrived, and an elite athlete never feel ever will feel like or elite anybody will ever feel like they've arrived at something because they're, like once you accomplish one goal, you have to go to the next and the next and the next. But some people only set their height, you know, their sights so far or so high that you know just them accomplishing one or two big goals is enough for them. Whereas you have some people that just want to accomplish goals to, to the day they die. And um, that was the difference, like, with me and other people that I played with was I was just a good athlete. Like, all I wanted to do was go to UConn and then go pro. That was all I cared about. Yeah. Um, and I did the work to get there. But I needed to do the work to stay there but didn't really understand or comprehend that until my career was way over. Um, and I I always joke about I retired mentally before I did physically, but that's, like, really true. Um, and I wish I would have known more about mental health and mental skills prior to going to college because in college I felt like I already had my mind made up about a lot so I didn't want to listen to anybody um, and also something I wanted to touch on too was how you said like a generational thing with mental health like my grandmother <clears throat> will tell me all the time when I bring up like going to therapy She'll say, like, why don't you just talk to Jesus? And I I do. Jesus yeah. is awesome. I love Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus is not my therapist. Like, Jesus isn't coming down here giving me mental, you know, skills and things, like you said, to work on. Like, I have my Bible and all that, which gives me a lot. But, like, there's a huge, man, a huge difference. And I absolutely love, love, love learning about anything mental. Um, But it is definitely a generational thing. And- no,
1: I totally agree. I think I saw something yesterday that said, um you're allowed to talk to Jesus and be in therapy at the same time
0: exactly (laughs) so (laughs) Um, true I think
1: I saw that yesterday so yeah absolutely no you're absolutely right and and again I think we are on the right track of mental health becoming like I mean it already is starting to become part of the daily conversation you know you look on Instagram and all the social media platforms and it really is popping up a lot Mm -hmm. and so I think that's I think that's great on all ends and and it was interesting, too. Um, I'm not sure where you live now, but, you know, I was born and raised in Nashville, and you mm-hmm. really didn't hear a lot about that.
0: Exactly. And
1: and I was in Tennessee my whole college career, and, you know, I heard a little bit about it in grad school, but then I moved to New York, and it was like mental health was talked about on every corner. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody was talking about it. It was open. Oh, yeah, I have to go to therapy. Oh, yeah, I have to go do this, and then I'll meet you for drinks or mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know? And, and it's it's just super open, and so I think that's just growing into the other states and across the world hopefully and and it's just it's already changing so much but
0: I think we're on the right track for exactly sure. that's so awesome yeah I'm 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 actually like really loving that and it's crazy because I like I said I didn't believe anything mental health but now I yeah. absolutely love it and believe in it I'm so like happy that this is happening when it is And then I'm interested in it because it's helping me too. Um, And this is also like, even when I do my interviews, I'm always learning and it's also very therapeutic for me, not just the person I'm interviewing or the listeners. So it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Hannah, tell me what it's like when you see your players overcome mental obstacles after you've helped them see the light, so to speak.
1: That's a good question. Um, That's probably one of my favorite parts of the job, right? Mm -hmm. Is is seeing is seeing guys actually realize that when they work on their mental game and they go out there and they actually implement it, right? I think that's that's one of the hardest parts of mental skills is we could talk the talk all day long and, like, you get it and you understand it and you're like, oh, yeah, I believe in this. I want to do this. Sounds great. But then actually doing it mm-hmm. is one thing and then actually doing it in the heat of the moment is another thing.
0: Exactly. Right? It's,
1: it's really, I always say this, mental skills are incredibly simple. But they're very difficult to put into play, mm-hmm. especially under high-pressure situation, high pressure situations. And so when they practice it, because just like any other skill that you're being taught, you have to practice it, right? You can't just start implementing it in a game. Exactly. So we practice mental skills and practice and, and rehab and all that stuff. And then you go out into a game, and you put it into play, and it works. And they love it, and they feel more confident about it. And they're like, wow, it was nothing physical it's a pretty amazing feeling mm-hmm. um, and, and to know that they did that and it wasn't me, you know, I can't go out on the field mm-hmm. and, and whisper reminders in their ear constantly. You know, mm-hmm. it, it has to be them. And, and it, it's definitely one of the most rewarding parts of the job. And, and some guys, it takes a little bit longer and some guys it's pretty immediate. And some guys are like, Hannah, I know it's mental, but I can't figure out what's going on. You
0: know, and exactly. So
1: just have a conversation and try to pinpoint that awareness again. It all goes back to that awareness. But, it's pretty cool to see guys who maybe have been struggling and and maybe they changed a lot of things physically and, and they realize it's not physical. Like, why am I changing anything? Everything's working for me. It's mm-hmm. actually mental. It's my mentality. It's my approach. It's my routines, whatever it is. And then they make that small adjustment and then all of a sudden they're doing great. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really cool. And then they come back and they're like, I did it and it worked. Look at this, you know, and it's, it's, it's really neat. Just, and then, once they have that little tiny piece of success with it, it just opens the door for more opportunities and more conversations and more, even, even more specific conversations about their game and, and what they can really work on to keep growing, right? Because most of those guys who, if one thing works, they want to keep doing it and see what else can work too. So, it's pretty fun. That's, that's part of the, the good parts of the job, for sure.
0: Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> so, what do you do for your own mental health?
1: great question um two things come to mind again one balance Mm. so for me work-life balance is huge and that's really hard in the world of professional sports Mm -hmm. Um, and some people like and this is going back to the generational talk you know if some older you know guy who's been in baseball for 40 years hears this he's probably gonna be like there's no work-life balance in baseball what do you mean Mm -hmm. you know. And I'm challenging that because I know that if I am with my family and my husband on weekends or you know, every other week or I get to see them more often than not, then I know I will be better at my job.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I know I will be a better version of myself, a happier version, a more energized person. And so I think the biggest thing I can do for my mental health is balance work life. And, Mm -hmm. and one of the best things I've ever heard too is when I'm at work, I'm at work. Like I am solely here for the players. I am solely on for the players. I wouldn't say I neglect my family, but (laughs)
0: they're
1: definitely on the back burner when I'm working, you know? Mm -hmm. But then when I go home, uh, family is number one and Mm -hmm. home is number one. And, and, the you know my job is on the back burner just because I'm very big into being fully in the moment that I'm in Mm -hmm. and you know if I'm at work wishing I was at home I'm not going to be doing a good job at work
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: if I'm at home knowing I should be at work I'm not going to be a good spouse or a good daughter or a good family member and so I really try to separate those two things and I found that that really helps me Mm -hmm. and and even though sometimes it's still hard um, trying to find that balance and, and wanting to be here for the players, but also wanting to be there for my husband. Exactly. <laughs> um, finding that balance. But that's a big one for me. And then the second one is I practice mindfulness pretty mm. regularly. Um, and it's it was just an app, you know, and starting small on that. And now it's just trying to practice mindfulness wherever I can, whenever I can during the day. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the coolest parts I think about mindfulness is it's not just you don't have to be sitting in a quiet room, with your legs crossed and your eyes shut, you know, Mm -hmm. I can be having a conversation with somebody and be practicing mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Like, am I really in this conversation? Am I really listening to what they're saying? Or am I already planning out my day for tomorrow or what I'm having for dinner or even my response to them? Like, Mm -hmm. or am I just simply listening to what they're doing? And, and it's so amazing when, when you just stop and actually listen, Mm -hmm chances are your sessions are going to go a lot better. Your conversations are going to go a lot better versus trying to like pre plan what you're going to say. It's like, if you would listen, you know (laughs) what you should say, you know, but, and I say this all the time to young um, mental skills, people who are in school and wanting to get into this profession is make sure you listen because 50% of my job, maybe even more is solely listening to these players talk Mm -hmm. because they're in such a unique world where, maybe their support systems don't really understand what they're going through. They're significant. Others are depending on them to play well, you know, or their parents are supporting them, but they don't really know how like you can do it. And they're like, I don't need to hear that right now. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and maybe you're one of the only people who is there on a daily basis, knows the grind that they're going through, understands what they're going through and that they feel they can open up and talk to you. Maybe you're the only person they feel comfortable at. And so, The least, the best thing you could do is listen and just hear them out. And again, show that empathy with them, sit with them in those feelings, hear what they're saying, like feel what they're feeling and just be in that moment with them, I think is one of the biggest things too. And that goes back to me practicing mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And if I'm doing that, which is my mental, my own mental health, in turn, I'm helping them. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so I think both of my, both of my mental health things are all about me And making sure I'm okay, because if I'm not okay, or if I'm too tired, or I'm not in that moment, I'm not going to be the best mental skills coach I can be. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think the third thing I would say, so first is life, family balance. Second is mindfulness. The third thing I would say is practicing enjoyment and that attitude of gratitude. Because Mm. for me, and I preach it to my players, if you're enjoying what you're doing, you're better at it. Yes. So If you enjoy your relationship, you're going to be a better significant other, Mm -hmm. right? If I enjoy being a mental skills coach, I'm going to be a lot better mental skills coach than if I hated my job. Exactly. And so I'm, I'm like constantly searching for reasons I enjoy my job and things that I can be grateful for, and whether it's the travel or even seeing my family a little bit more, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm searching for those pieces of, of gratitude and just moments that I can enjoy. And I think that's just a perspective shift, right? Are, are you looking for all the things that are going wrong? Because I'm sure there's plenty of those in our mm-hmm. lives.
0: Right?
1: Or are you looking at the things that are going right and, and the things that you enjoy and that you're really grateful for? So those are my three self-help mental health that I try to do on a daily basis or a pretty regular basis.
0: I just wrote that down, so I'm going to pay attention more <laughs> to that in my life too. Um, yeah. Mindfulness is definitely something that I've practiced a lot, especially being present um, yeah. because I know like we all... Most of us believe that because we're physically there and because we think we're listening, we're really not. We're listening to respond, like you said, majority yeah. of the time. And that's something that I definitely have been working on. And even like a lot of people laugh when I say I meditate like in the airport while I'm in line. But I'm so serious. I hate being in line at the airport. It's the worst place to be for me. So I would blast my meditation music and I would practice my breathing while I'm standing there around <laughs> millions of people. It doesn't matter. I can be around so many people, but I feel like I'm alone because I'm I'm there Practicing my mindfulness, calming myself down, I'm breathing, I'm focused um uh-huh. and I like how you said though like you your work life balance, so how have you been able to do that, especially being a- watch uh, and well, say that especially having a husband um and also what advice can you give people who are struggling with that?
1: yeah, so I think I kind of reached a point. Pretty early in my career, probably last year, that I was like, "I think time is more important than money to me." Yes. Um, and so this following year, I didn't ask for a raise; I asked for more time
0: mm. with my
1: family. Um, yeah, and that was a big that was a big deal. Um, so I actually last year I lived in Florida because that's where we have three teams and we have spring training. And so most of my time is spent in Florida. Okay. And so I moved there and my husband was, well, then fiance was in Tennessee. Mm. and So I was seeing him probably once every month and a half.
0: Jeez. Um,
1: Yeah, it was tough. It was tough, but I knew going in, it was going to be tough and Mm -hmm. I knew that that was a sacrifice. And then we actually got married. Um, during the season last year, it was okay. already before I got the job. So Awesome, congrats. Change changed the wedding date. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and so then after we got married, it was just like a little different. It was mm-hmm. like, uh, I feel like I need to be home a little bit more. I need to see him more. And so I asked to relocate. I asked to live in Tennessee because I travel all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, can I just travel from Tennessee? That way when I go home, at least I'm home for two days. Instead of when I was in Florida, I would literally just fly to Florida or fly to Philly and back and mm-hmm. then come home to an empty apartment, you know, it's exactly. just me. And that was really hard on us. And, and luckily the Phillies were amazing and great at that. And so that That's was great. one really big step I took. But I think I think any advice I would give you is if you're really trying to find that balance, like, but you're also trying to like make that money, right? It's mm-hmm. It's what's more important do you need to make more money right now? Or do you need to spend more time with family? Exactly. And you know, I get it. I get some of us need to make the money. I get that. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make you a worse person or anything. Exactly. But I think it's asking like, what is the priority in your life right now? And you know, mine is my family because my job is such a big priority that it takes over a lot of my time. Mm -hmm. And I have to make sure I'm constantly working to make sure my family is above my job. And, and I think, the phillies are really really good about that and about knowing that families are big you know our even our gm has two little girls so Aww. like and my boss has two little boys so it's 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 very well known that family is important in our mm-hmm. organization which doesn't happen everywhere
0: exactly uh,
1: and so i would i would even say that you know when you're looking for a new job i would ask whoever's interviewing what's what's your work life balance policy or work family balance policy like do you guys take into consideration any of that you know and and I honestly think it's only going to get more complicated as I get older and, and like, if we want to start a family soon, which we do. And mm-hmm. and I don't know what that's going to look like, but we're going to figure it out and play it by ear. But it, it's really important to me. And, again, I think I'm at my best when I'm with my family. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I sell it to the Phillies is, like, if you want me to be the best I can be, I need to spend time with my family. Mm-hmm. And like, it's hard to say no to that. I mean, I'm sure there are places that would say no to that and and do say no to that. But Mm -hmm. I know for me, that's, that's almost a non-negotiable for me is, is being able to see my family. So now I see him probably once every 10 days, maybe less than
0: that too. So not too bad.
1: Yeah, it's not, even if it's two days here, three days there, it's it's still, it's still better than last
0: year. Much so. better, <laughs> much, much yeah. better. Yeah. I love that they were willing, the Phillies are willing to help you out because like you said, yeah. especially big organizations, they don't they care. Um, so that's yeah. so awesome that they were willing to do that. And I also love how you weren't only aware that you needed that change, but you took the step to ask for it. And yeah. most people don't. Most people, they know that they need a change. They know they're unhappy. They know it's too much, but they aren't willing to take that risk because they could have yeah. rejected you and said no. And that's what stops most people. So I definitely commend you on that, and especially for asking for time and not money because most of us only want money. We don't really care about the time. So Right, 100%. And yeah. I'll
1: even say this going off that is, when I was in New York and I was about to ask for a raise, I was freaking out, right? Because oh wow! Freaking out, right? And and I was looking up, like literally Googled, how do you ask for a raise? <laughs>
0: that's and, so awesome.
1: Yeah, and one of the articles that popped up, and whether this is a God thing, a coincidence, I don't know, but one of the first articles that popped up was the most common people to not ask for a raise, and it was young females. And I was like, wow. nope, that's all I needed. Because technically I was considered a young... I, I was like 24 at the time. 25. Yeah. And so it was a couple of years ago. And I was like, uh-uh. If the number one population that doesn't ask for a raise or doesn't ask for a promotion is young females, I'm sure as heck going to break that. Like,
0: exactly. No
1: and like that's literally all I needed. And so that that has stuck with me for the last three years. Like, no, you absolutely ask for what you want. Mm-hmm. If you're working your tail off, if you think you deserve more, freaking ask for it. Exactly. Because like you said the worst I could say is no. And then I ask for something else or you negotiate or, and then if nothing works, then you go find another opportunity. Like, mm-hmm. but if you don't ask the answers, always no. And my dad's always said that to me. And the older you get, the more real that is. And mm-hmm. especially being that, that young female and like, heck, no, like that is not about to stop me, you know, from getting a raise or promotion or or more time, whatever it is that I need. So I absolutely
0: believe in that. That's beautiful. Your bravery is definitely inspirational. Um, (laughs) And I, I agree with you. And that's something that my mom has a very hard time understanding is how I can just leave jobs and when i feel like i'm not cared about especially my mental health or like you said my work work life balance Mm -hmm. then i don't want to work for you because i know there's another job or i can literally create one myself it's never been easier to start a business like i started this podcast in my kitchen it's not that hard you know and i'm I'm sitting in my room doing it now so it's like if i want something if i can't get it from somebody else or somewhere else then i'm going to create it and again most people just aren't like that and i i cannot live my life believing that my time or one of my hours is worth only ten dollars or twelve dollars fifteen what am I supposed to do with that and it's not even just that it's like the amount of work I'm doing for that money um it's not worth it to me I would rather have my time and be broke than to be rich and be unhappy because I'm working 20 out of the 24 hours a day that's crazy yeah, to absolutely. me um, Absolutely. so we talked a little bit about your work-life balance and how important your family and your husband are to you can you talk a little bit more about that
1: yeah i mean to me you know my family has always been super important to me um and my mom always raised us god first family second Mm -hmm. school third everything else after that Mm -hmm. even sports and so i try to still you know god family and then work Mm -hmm. um right now and so it's it's definitely a daily challenge a hundred percent um making sure that again cutting off the work when I'm at home is really really hard Mm -hmm. um and 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 because technically I am kind of always on call like if a player needs anything they can call or FaceTime and we talk through things Mm -hmm. so but um I think it's important that so my husband is a football coach nice so he is super into it like super aware of the sport world and the life that comes with it so Mm. I'm super blessed that we're kind of on the same page instead of someone who really has no clue what I'm going through. Exactly. Or <laughs> stuff. So um, I think that that was pretty key in my success is being partners with somebody who understands and <clears throat> and has been in the sport world mm-hmm. for so long in his whole life and and wants to coach and do that for the rest of his life. So hopefully one day we get to work together somehow, some way. But yeah, That's we'll awesome.
0: That. that is so yeah. awesome. I was going to ask, how does he... How is he able to support you and all that? But you just answered my question. So, good. Well, right. Yeah, he, um, he'll
1: um he tell you straight up, too. Um, so, we were dating in college when he was playing football. Oh, cool. And he would, you know, have a good day or a bad day or good practice, bad practice, good game, bad game, whatever. And I'd be like, um, do you want the supportive girlfriend or do you <laughs> want the mental skills, sports psychology girlfriend? Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, just support. And I'm like, okay, great. I can do that, you know, but but we had to kind of clear that up pretty early in our relationship just because now I kind of have multiple hats and Mm -hmm. that's great. And, And it's, it's making sure that I can still support him even, even if it's not supporting him through the lens of an athlete or even a coach now, you know, because I meet with our coaches too. So I have plenty of advice to give him, but I need to make sure that that's what he's wanting in that moment. And so, but no, he's great. He supports me through and through and, um, we dated for about five years before we got married. So, and we've almost been married a year now. So, Oh,
0: beautiful. That yep. is beautiful.
1: Yeah. But he's great. My family's awesome. They're, um, still all in Nashville, Tennessee. So mm-hmm. we get to see them pretty often too. So that's,
0: that's really good. good. That's really yeah. good. And it's great to have a support system regardless of what you're doing, but especially with, with something like you're doing and being an athlete, well formerly being an athlete and stuff like that, support systems are so important. Yeah, so important. Absolutely. It's great to have one. Yeah. Um <laughs> how how do mind, body, and spirit or soul, depending on who the person is, influence each other and what can we do to keep them in unison?
1: Ooh, interesting question. Well, I think all impact all. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I think all of it somehow tied together for the most part um and I personally believe that it starts with your mind Mm -hmm. because I think thoughts create feelings and feelings create action so I think everything starts with your thoughts and that's again going back to that awareness piece right If, if you're not aware Of the thoughts that you're having in your mind Mm -hmm. that you may not be aware of the consequences both good or bad that are happening to your body and your soul and your spirit you know because Mm -hmm. it all starts with that thought and some of those thoughts you can't control but if you're aware you can change those thoughts if they're not what you want them to be
0: very true if that makes
1: sense so I think I think they're all connected 100% but I will say too, if one is off, it doesn't mean all three have to be off. Mm-hmm. So if if maybe your body's not feeling great, let's let's get your mind and your spirit right. Or, exactly. Or if your mind's a little off, like let's make sure we're doing everything in our power to make the other two strong and intact, because we're not always going to be a hundred percent.
0: Exactly. And
1: I think one of one of the best things I've ever heard about that is. You know, if you're, you know, everybody's like, no, you got to bring 100% every day. Got to bring 110% every day. Some days you're not going to be 100%. Mm-hmm. Some days maybe you feel sick or you're tired or you didn't get sleep or you stayed up too late or or whatever. And, or you're in a fight with somebody or, or anything. And, and maybe you're just at 70% that day. Mm-hmm. And so what I say a lot is bring 100% of that 70% mm-hmm.
0: today.
1: Don't just cause you're at 70, don't bring 60, mm-hmm. bring as much as you can possibly bring today. Um, and I think that helps, too, with with knowing what's working with what. And and sometimes we're not as strong as we want to be. And sometimes we're stronger than we think we are. Um, but I think they all three work together. And I think, I don't know, I, I don't know if I think, I, I don't know. I think that does start with the mind, just because that's what I focus on the most. Mm-hmm. and That I think you do have a lot of control over. And maybe sometimes you don't ha- have all the control over what's going on in your body. Um, and maybe not even all the control that's going on in your soul or your spirit, but mm-hmm. I do think you have the most control in your mind. Even if you can't control the initial thoughts that are coming in, you can absolutely control your
0: response to
1: those thoughts.
0: Yes. Wow. That's deep. Yeah. I like that. I'm yeah, on you, the
1: spot on that one.
0: I just, you made me forget my good. questions. <laughs> my <laughs> next question. My goodness. I wanted to ask you a question specific about something that you said, and I was trying to hold on to it. And you got so deep that I can't even remember now, but that's okay. Um, But I do, I, I definitely do agree with you though, that it starts in the mind because your mind pretty much tells everything else what to do. So I'm not going to, my body itself isn't going to get up and go work out. My mind even has a hard time getting my body to go work out. And then with my spirit, it's like, I'm not going to get up and meditate and pray and be focused unless my mind is in that prayer or that meditation. And yeah. uh, it's just it's so 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 important. And like you said, focus. Depending on what I'm focusing on. So if I'm choosing to focus on what's going wrong in my life, then everything else, my body doesn't feel as energetic, my spirit or my inner, I'm not as enthusiastic. Um, and if I'm cho- if I'm choosing to focus on the positives, then that, all of that is the opposite. I'm dancing, I'm laughing, I'm telling jokes. Um, I'm I'm running around like crazy. I have all this energy, but it all depends on what you choose to focus on. And like you said, how you respond to all those things, too. and
1: I, Yeah, and I, I absolutely believe that um, enjoyment is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Yes. If you're in a good mood, it's because you chose to be in a good mood. Mm-hmm. If you're in a bad mood, it's because you chose to be in a bad mood. I don't care what circumstances are happening, whether you're in a fight with your significant other, whether you've had a bad game, whatever it is. You can choose to be in a good mood or in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it doesn't matter what's happening around you or who's impacting you. Mm-hmm. If you allow them to get to you and to affect you, anything can happen, you know? Exactly. And so I think it's important to remember that you choose how you feel. And maybe at first you don't, but you choose how you can respond to that and, and all that stuff. Absolutely.
0: Very true. And just knowing that you have the power to do that, to me, gives me... So much confidence that it gives me even more power and and just a desire to want to have more control over my mind and my life. Because uh, who I mean aside from God, who else is supposed to have that power over me? And it's so important to realize that when we allow people, when we allow, I hope people are focusing on that part. We allow people to make us upset that we are giving them the power, um, you know, over our emotions. And I don't want anybody else to have that power over me. Nobody does.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you shouldn't.
0: Exactly. No so what are some signs and symptoms that parents, coaches, teachers, and or friends can be on the lookout for in young people, not just athletes, but young people in general who may be struggling with mental health?
1: Ooh, that's interesting. That's a good question. Um, I would say isolation. Mm. Um. I would say change of moods. Um, and I would say maybe if they're all of a sudden a little more quiet than they usually are, Mm -hmm. or maybe even a little more talkative than they usually are, Mm. um, I would say any, any crazy change of emotion or, or, um, anything, you know, if if there's a drastic change in something, I would want to make sure you're checking in on them, whether it's, whether it's a good one or a bad one, you know, Mm -hmm. because sometimes when we're feeling bad, we can mask it or over mask it with like over positive or or loud or boisterous, whatever. Exactly. Um, So I would say, I would say just making sure you're, if, if anything changes, like that's not normal or hasn't been normal in the past, I would say that's a really good time to start checking in and and obviously, if they're more emotional than they've ever been or, or crying or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I would say just looking for anything out of the norm okay. is probably the best thing to look for.
0: For sure. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and my last thing for you, Hannah, I just want you to talk to us a little bit about your Mental Health Mondays and yeah. why, sh- why we should watch them and where we can watch them every Monday.
1: Yeah, so um, I started. um, It's it's hashtag Mental Sweat Monday. Mental
0: Sweat. My bad. My bad. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, you're <laughs> Mental Sweat Mondays. I started um, actually at the beginning of this year and decided, you know, I wanted to do something where I could give everybody a minute every Monday of just checking in mentally on how mm-hmm. you're doing, or a tip or a trick or something that could help you in in any realm of life. You know, sometimes they're baseball examples, but. My goal is that that can fit in any part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, they're on Instagram. Um, my Instagram is just my first and last name. So it's Hannah Huseman altogether, no periods or anything in between. Um, and they're come out every Monday and yeah, it's pretty awesome. We've gotten some great feedback so far and, and I really enjoy doing it. It's, it's a challenge and a little outside my comfort zone, but the feedback has been awesome. And it's just to make sure it's, it's it can be a reminder it can be a tip just to make sure that you're checking in on your mental game every day. And and just like the name says, you're getting a mental sweat. Just mm-hmm. like just like we know it's a priority to get a physical sweat every day, right? Even if you're just walking or yoga or, or whatever it is, right? You're getting a you're supposed to be getting a physical sweat in every day. And and it, just as important, you should be getting a mental sweat every day too. Exactly. So that's where that name came from. But yeah, definitely check it out. Um, it's every Monday on my Instagram. And I also post them on LinkedIn, but it's nice. I like Instagram
0: better. So, yeah. Me too. Uh, I, <laughs> I watched a few of them last night, and they're definitely worth watching. So, guys, tune in. They can definitely help you out. Go back and watch all of them. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, I love your page, Hannah, and it, it's very great. And I really, really appreciate you joining us today and being on the show. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. You had some really, really good questions.
0: Oh, thank you. Of course. Yeah huh?